Welcome to the PFF College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Galina. Along with me today is PFF Deontay, Deontay Lee, coming uh, live from beautiful San Diego, California. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm uh, I'm chilling in this in beautifully cold Montreal, Quebec. Uh, yeah, on today I went out actually. Um, I went uh, for a walk at this like nature park situation. Mm-hmm. Twenty five minutes. I think I said this last week too because I went out last week too. But twenty five minutes, thirty five minutes. That's it. That's like the max you can be outside for. You can only be outside in Montreal because nothing's open. And the max you can be outside is about 35 minutes. All right. Uh, today's episode, we just got news that LSU hired a new defensive coordinator. We'll talk about that. Um, we're going to talk about who we think would be the best and maybe the worst hires or fits for the Tennessee head coaching job. We're going to talk about how we see Auburn. We haven't talked about uh, Auburn and their hiring of Brian Harson yet, so we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Bill O'Brien uh, bringing his ass to... Tuscaloosa to be the offensive coordinator for Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. And then we're going to go into uh, a little bit of the uh, the conference championship games that were just played in the NFL this weekend. And uh, I will do a quick Super Bowl preview. We are going to have more Super Bowl talk uh, next week's uh, episode with a, with a special guest. And then if we have time at the end, uh, Deontay has a nice little rant for you guys <laughs> about high school football. So yeah. uh, anyways, let's get it started. Like I said, the news just came out right before we started recording this that LSU uh, has hired a new um, defensive coordinator finally after a search that felt like it lasted a long time. Uh, Durante Jones is the, uh, is the new guy. He was last the secondary coach, the DB's coach in the Minnesota Vikings. I have met Durante Jones before uh, when he was coaching for the Bengals. Um, I didn't spend any time with him. I spent time with – was, we were there um, chilling with the coaching staff. So the, the, the guy who was DB coach with spent time with Durante. I spent time with the linebackers um, and and my idol, Jim Hazlitt. But anyways, that's, that's neither here nor there. He's now the LSU defense coordinator. Been about four years in the NFL as, I guess, DB secondary coach. So like I said, Minnesota, uh, Cincinnati, like I said, and before that, uh, Miami. He's been a coordinator before at the Division II level. He's been on Dave Aranda's coaching staff at Wisconsin. That <laughs> seems like that's probably important uh, for, for Ed Orgeron right now as he tries to rebuild uh, 2019 again. And he's coached in Louisiana. He knows the Joseph, so Mickey Joseph, the LSU wide receiver coach. Uh, like I said, coached at Nickel State, coached high school in Louisiana. So he knows the area. I think this probably uh, not a splashy hire, but pro- look, there's talent there. So probably, I would say, probably ends up being a good hire, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I think that it's a good hire because it's safe and predictable for LSU. You know, I think that. After the idea of getting Marcus Freeman there, it doesn't work out. You know, you think you're going to get your guy from the Saints. That doesn't work out. So I think that the easiest thing for them to do, instead of taking a big swing, another big swing at a guy that maybe they're not 100% bought into, you'll get a guy that's worked doing the doing the thing that you guys did when you were at your best most recently. 
So he's got some familiarity with the Randa. I mean, it's not like he was a co-defensive coordinator, but he's familiar with the defense. Um, he has NFL pedigree. Like you said, he's familiar with Louisiana, uh, coached at Nichols State and is coached at the high school level in the state as well. Um, so, you know, from that, all I can really take from that is when they met, they must have asked him, are you comfortable running what Aranda runs? And he must have <laughs> said yes, you know, because I, I can't imagine that they went there and said, hey, we want you to do what the Vikings do, because that's basically that's, you know, it's not exactly one for one for with what Bo Pelini did. But, you know, if you wanted to do the quarters and cover two stuff, you would have kept your old defensive coordinator anyways. So I'd have to think that they're going to go back to some odd front more cover one type of stuff. And then like the sub package creeper simulated pressures and all of that. That's what I'm thinking. I honestly, like when you said that just now, like they probably printed off the 2014 Wisconsin playbook that, yep. <laughs> that floats around the internet. And they said, uh-huh. you're running this. Like, yep. don't do even, you remember this? This you remember is what you're this, working you remember with. Type four, you remember under one? <laughs> yep. That's all we're running yep. now. Yeah. Like that's so, yeah, I guess. And, and you know, the stuff, the little quotes that I've heard from, from the Vikings, I think there was a quote from like a Vikings player talking about how good of a communicator he is and stuff like that. So, like that's all you want. You want a good communicator, and you want somebody who um, who who's kind of worked his way to where he is. And that's definitely, um, you know, when you look at his coaching resume, that's definitely what he's done. So I'm excited. Uh, like I said, bringing back, and you said bringing back 2019, trying to find um, any way to spark that flame again. Now. There's, you know, just looking at the roster, there's good, there's great players, I should say, in important positions for him. Cornerback and other areas of the secondary, they return a ton of snaps. Uh, you know, Jay, you know, besides Eli Ricks and, and Derek Stingley, they're going to bring back Cordell Flott. They're going to bring back Jay Ward. They're guys who played snaps before. And then at the at the edge positions, you're getting, you know, BJ Olujari is coming back. You're getting... Uh, Thornton, uh, Ray Thornton's coming back for a senior. Uh, sorry, Andre Anthony's coming back for a senior season, and the freak Ali Gay is coming back. So, like at the edge and the corners, like two probably the two most important positions. Uh, they're gonna have some returning talent. Now, it is interesting because when I when I went and th- thought about the roster construction, I did think you know the ro- it could be made up for. Um, for more of a four down front again. Now it's not like Aranda didn't play four down because he because you know we talked about this last week I believe. Later on in that 2019 season, they just said screw it, we're going and playing cover one and we're going to do it from a penetrating four down type of alignment. But it still had like three four personnel on it. I think that would be the difference now. Like if you're going to still stay in a in a in a four down because of the talent you have, you you are getting more of that edge rusher. Like two edge rushers on the field, you know, three if you, if you know, you can maybe bump one of those two, Thornton or or, or Olajari inside something like that. So, a little different the personnel, but uh, than 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 Aranda had, but uh, I think it's really good personnel. And look, LSU is not going to be down for long, like they like like twenty twenty. It's not going to happen that often because they recruit too well, too much talent on the roster. So I think like. Getting a guy in there who's a good communicator, because that was another thing we talked about with Bo Pelini, like that that we've heard that he just wasn't a great communicator. That could he couldn't get his full defense in. They can only run one coverage, all that stuff. So right. you know, just finding a guy who can talk to the players, uh, get through them, and 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 coach it up, I think is important for LSU because again, the talent's there for them to go on, uh, 
to, to be great again, honestly, on defense, to be great. Yeah. And I will say, I don't want to, you know, not going to drum up any narratives, but I will say that. No, this is, well, let's drum up all the narratives. Right <laughs> I will say the one thing that I'm very interested in when it comes to LSU is that between Bo Pelini and Matt Canada now, on both sides of the ball, Ed Orgeron has made hires for coordinators that have not worked out, like, in a spectacular fashion, that have just gone the absolute worst way it could have gone. So, you know, maybe this, maybe, you know, not only are you hiring a guy who's familiar with what you're doing, maybe it's we're not going to make a big splash. We get a guy who maybe will hang around for a little while, you know, not necessarily using me as a stepping stone to the next, you know, head coaching gig type of thing. So I'm hoping, you know, for the program's sake that that's what this is, because now between, you know, the, the last two, you know, or two of the last three really big pro high profile coaching uh, acquisitions they've made, they haven't gone as well as I think everybody expected them to. So we'll see how this one goes. How much goodwill do you think Coach O has right now at LSU? Because you talked about, obviously, the Bo Pelini thing didn't work, and it was spectacularly bad. Right. The Matt Canada thing is funny because I know that it certainly wasn't his first option there. And on, like if, if Lynn Kiffin comes to LSU, the whole history of the world is different right. that year, right? <laughs> right. Um, right. But still, you know, like you said, Matt Canada just didn't work out. So how much how much do you think um, Leashy has left there at LSU after this season? If these don't work out again and, and, and it becomes another thing where you think where people are like, hey, you got to get rid of this guy, um, whether it's Pete's on offense or um, or Jones on defense. Like it's time like it's time already. Like does he, is Jonathan Ice already a year after winning the national championship? Uh, what I will say is I'm trying to look at their schedule. I think, I think they can lose to Alabama, but yeah. I don't think they can lose to Auburn. Nope. Like, I'll, I think I'll put it that way. You can lose to Alabama. You can lose to Georgia. You probably can't lose to Auburn. You definitely can't lose to the Mississippi schools. You know, obviously you can't lose to Arkansas in any situation, but you know, that next tier below the Alabama and Georgia's in the SEC and Florida's, you can't lose to those teams. So you know, he needs a, a nine and three, ten and two season. Maybe you lose to Alabama, maybe you lose to, you know, a Georgia, but you know, that's probably about the extent of, you know, kind of what the expectations are. All right, let's stick at the actually the whole episode is gonna be in the SEC now that I think about it. So uh let's move over to the SEC East. Tennessee still without a coach, though they did hire uh, Danny White to be their athletic director. I don't I I think that no matter who, like the we're going to go name some people right now. I almost guarantee you that the, the person they hire is not going to be anyone that we... We're going to name 10 people, let's say. I guarantee you it's going to be someone out of left field. I just have this feeling about Tennessee that they're going to hire someone kind of out of left field. Um, so is there anyone that... But, you know, with that said, uh, <laughs> let's go through it. Is there anybody uh, that you really like... Uh, Kind of either either a guy who's already established, a guy who's up and coming. I know it's not a good job right now. It is, it, it is an awful job because it, it, no one gonna be there when you walk in the door the first day. Like right. there's no player. I saw another you know cornerback left today. Um, now Oklahoma's taken two. I, I read I forgot who tweeted it, um, but I saw that uh, Lincoln Riley's come in and taken their 2019 top recruit and 20. 18 top recruit or 2020 top recruit, something like that. So there's Oof. no players left. Um, it might be even worse because we don't know how the how, how heavy the, the, the NCAA is going to come down on it. 
terrible situation. But with that said, who, who, who I guess is your dream candidate for Tennessee? Ooh, maybe dream is strong, but this is somebody I actually uh, I DM'd uh, Stephen Godfrey about this after I read his article. But the name that came up to me, and I've talked to him about you, is Lance Leipold, Lance Leipold at uh, Buffalo. That's the guy. If I were Tennessee, that's who I'm trying to ring in. You know, if you want somebody who's not going to be the hot name like a Scott Satterfield or a Billy Napier, you know, but somebody who you know has a history of developing programs, Lance Leopold is probably the name that I'm after. Yeah, I mean, he's done absolutely everything you could want in terms of like uh, a guy who should be hired to the next level. He's won everywhere, national championships. And now, you know, with the Buffalo team, they're really, they're like tremendously good. It's a good program. They've won games back to back to back years. Um, developing an offensive line, that's important. Obviously, they've done that. And, you know, the quarterback actually played really well. Uh, they, 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 they go, he just, I don't know much about what he's doing. I just know that he's doing it at a high level wherever right. he goes. So, yeah, I think that that's honestly probably the, the best, shot they have of anyone because who again who else wants to take this job right now now I, I'm, I'm curious about so one of the guys that i really like um and again would you take this job i have no clue but it's tony elliott from clemson mm-hmm. who i know you really like too yes um, he's on my list so so yeah tell me like what so again i if i'm tony elliott i'm not leaving clemson for tennessee sorry like right I, it's just such a mess like I think some guys, some coaches relish that type of opportunity. And maybe I'm just, maybe I'm like projecting and I'm not one of these people. Um, I just want to go and coach an offense where there's already like NFL talent there. <laughs> like that's all I, I, I just want to like, so I can run my bullshit, like, you know, smash drive fucking 20 times right. a game and read it out with uh-huh. my NFL quarterback. But um, so like, I don't know if, if you'd want to, I wouldn't want to leave Clemson um, especially with the quarterback he's going to get to play around with this year um, for Tennessee. But, yeah, so, yeah, you like you like Tony Ellis. There's something about his offense that you like. Um, uh, what is it about him that you like? So I like him for the same reason that I like I liked Gus Malzahn when he was hired at Auburn when he was. You know, it's just everything has its place. When you watch, when you watch Auburn when it was at its best offensively, Everybody knew what they were doing. And it's the same with Clemson. Like nine times out of 10, you know what they're going to do. It's just, it's so effective. They have very simple answers for the things that defenses like to do to stop the offense. And as you got, as we've all seen at Clemson now, when he has a talent, especially at receiver and quarterback, like it's ridiculous. You know, they can put up 40 or 50 with ease. And you see that when they play their ACC competition, even when they're playing, you know, some playoff level competition. So that, you know, he is the guy that obviously as a coordinator, you'd be, you'd be crazy as Tennessee not to call. But like you said, I have DJ Uyunglele. On roster already, I've got, you know, Ngata, Bo Collins is coming in. I have Justin well, Ross Justin coming Ross back. back yeah. You know, they're returning all of these guys on defense. Like this, to me, outside of a Georgia, like if you're looking for a team that tracks as like the national champion before we play any games, they fit the profile. 
So, you know, I'm, I'm not leaving that this year to go to a Tennessee team that we don't even know what the recruiting thing is going to turn out to be. They just fired their head coach with cause, which means that, you know, the leadership there is clearly pretty high strung about results. I, I'm not leaving my cushy Clemson job to go take over Tennessee if I'm Elliott. One of the things you mentioned that I think is really interesting about what he's done at, at Clemson, uh, I just looked this up how long he's been there for, but um, talk about having skill position players and a quarterback. They've been really elite, elite, elite. I think without an offensive line until I think maybe 2019, they were pretty good. 2020, you know, like like NFL talent on that offensive line. They haven't really had it that much and they've still been able to get things done. Um, so I think that would be important should he go wherever he ends up because he probably will be a head coach at some point somewhere. And I think looking at that and saying, hey, you know, we're able to um, kind of do all oh, – he's been at Clemson for since for forever. Okay. Yeah. I, I know he was, a co- he was a co-OC for a while, and then the guy he was co-OCing with left for uh, USF. Yep. And that's when he took over. So, yeah, he's been there for, for a good while now. Oh, yeah, he's so basically since since um, uh, Dabo took over. So 2011, he was a running back coach and he kept getting promoted. Uh, so, yeah, I think he, he would be a good hire somewhere, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm with you. I don't think um, it's um, it's it's right now. It's just not good. It's just not yeah. a good spot. I mean, it, my answer would be the same for Billy Napier. It's the same for Scott Satterfield, and it's the same for Josh Heupel. And those are like, if you're looking for like the big names that you're going to call for a coaching search, all those all those guys I named are at programs that have been successful recently. They've had success at the programs that they're at right now, and it clearly seems like they have you know access to talent and a level of stability there in terms of. Their play, their level of play, the recruits they're bringing in and, you know, with administration and boosters and all that other stuff, that's, you know, kind of the game behind the game. So I'm not leaving that for the mess that Tennessee looks like right now. Okay, those names that you mentioned, plus I'm going to add Hugh Freeze, I'm going to add Jamie Chadwell. So a lot of those guys you mentioned have very unique offenses. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if any of them say, you know, I've done it everywhere I've been. They've had success and they're saying, yo, this is the biggest job that I would get, you know, for, for freeze. It would be, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't think I would ever have this chance again. And right. Back in the Reclamation NCC. project. Reclamation, exactly. And, and Satter, Satterfield, you know, moving on up every every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Hypo, the same thing. OC in the SEC and then head coach in the G5 and not coming back as a head coach, stuff like that. Do, do you think any of those guys say, yo, I have something unique that I know I can win with, even if I don't have the level of talent that I'm going to be playing against? They've all done it. Right. Freeze has done it. And and Heupel, who run similar-ish offenses. Uh, we saw what happened with Jamie Chadwell this year. Because um, But the, thing, the crazy thing about uh, Coastal Carolina is I do think a lot of it is on quarterback being very good and accurate. Yeah, but you know, even without like an elite passing quarterback, they've been able to become better, better each year on offense. So I think he's proven that his offense can work at an interesting levels. Um, so all those guys that you mentioned, Satterfield with the outside zone, you know what I mean, like pistol outside zone, all that boot action, right? Um, all Lance Newport does like 
true 20 personnel with the fullback. They run stretch and power and all the regular pro style stuff out of that kind of 20 personnel spread look. So, yeah, I mean, in Chadwell, you know, a lot of their stuff is almost just like an extension to triple option football when it's not their drop back game. So, you know, all of these guys, if I were Chadwell, I know he just signed an extension at Coastal Carolina, but if I were Chadwell, that's kind of the job that I would be angling for. You know, I'd be asking for a buyout because you can look at that offense and say, hey, you know, brand new in the SCS, we have no business being good. It's not like we just fell into these blue chip talents that nobody knew about. You know, we're just playing with guys who are on our level of talent based on our level of competition. And they were you know, productive every week offensively. Yeah. So I, if I were Chadwell, you know, that's the kind of job where it's like, am I really going to get anything better? Probably not, at least not right out the gate. You know, Tennessee's not ideal, but SEC look fresh off of Coastal Carolina that, you know, I would be looking for that if I were him. I, You said like, is this the best I'm going to get? I kind of see that, see it like that too, because, and now the, the Grayson McCall is going to return. That's the quarterback I was talking about. But man, they were. This is a legit football team that I don't know if you're going to see this again. They were good. They've been good. They've been on an upward trajectory since they've joined the FBS, and it hasn't been that long. So maybe, maybe this guy is a limit for Coastal Carolina. But I kind of do think this might be the limit. So yeah, I think leaving now while the iron is hot and bringing that offense. I think the offense is great. By the way, I think it's fun. It's a triple option offense with so much. Um, counters i think in it um and kind of a different type of the way they run their trap is a little different the way they run their counter options is a little different now they were again they were able to throw the ball every time they drop back to pass they got a completion like right that's a little different than most option teams right yeah so and it like, would be different in the sec so. yeah exactly so so i don't know but I'm, i would be interested to see it work um in the SEC again, we, we talked about you know Nashville last week being a pretty interesting spot to go recruit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it would be interesting. It would. It's just again, I keep saying this. Uh, it is a mess there right now. It is an absolute yeah. mess there right now. Is there anyone who you think who you think might get hired who would be who would be uninspired, just not anything that you're looking at? You know, like a like a Will Muschamp or something like that. I mean, the I mean, Will Muschamp is the obvious one. I I put in my mind, I kind of played around with the idea of Gus Malzahn at Tennessee. I don't know if I like that idea as much in you know in real life as much as I do in my imagination. Um, <laughs> those are the two really where if they were hired, I'd think okay, this is going to be you know two and a half years, three years, and they're right back out you know looking for another head coach. Yeah, I think at this point, like go younger. Um, or go with a guy that's hungry that hasn't been at that level before and can learn it on the ropes where there's not a lot of stress to win right away because there shouldn't be right now. And yeah, so I think that's Chadwell. I think that's Leopold. I think that's maybe... um, It's not Hugh Freeze, I don't think, even though I think he would do well there. I don't even think it's Josh Heupel because he's already had success at, at even though it's a G5, he's had success on the national stage at that G5 school. So I don't think it's Josh Heupel either. So yeah, I think I think it, it, it's got to be one of those guys. And again, I, I just think it's going to be someone off the board. It's going to be like, like what just happened to LSU. Like we had no clue what's going to be Durante Jones to be their DC. Now head coach is a little different, but I 
I just feel like it's going to be some something off the board that we that no no one was expecting, unless they really go and splash it on Hugh Freeze or Hyper or something like that. All right, let's move on back to the SEC West. Bill O'Brien is the offensive coordinator for the Alabama Crimson Tide. This is, I I don't know. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this. It okay this. This, this is how, I, this is how, I'm, how I'm seeing it. There is absolutely no damn way he runs anything similar to what he did at in Houston the past few years. Like, he cannot, you can't sit there, you, you go and you get Bryce Young, and you're going to go and give him the Deshaun Watson offense. Not possible, right? I don't think so. <laughs> so possible. Here's where, here's where I put my PFF ultimate access to work. So I looked at all these rates and I wanted to try to find these divergences between Bill O'Brien and what Sark's done the last two years. They're they're on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. It's wild. I know I know exactly because I looked up the same numbers. I know exactly what you're gonna say. Go ahead. Yep. So the number one, the biggest divergence to me in terms of just like structural stuff is gonna be use of motion. And stuff like that. So Sark, you know, we talked about it leading up to the national championship and reviewing the championship game. He loves using motion, especially like fast motions to flare guys out into the flat. That's not really Bill O'Brien's thing. You know, it's more of, you know, the typical pro style. You you put a tight end out wide, but you know you're not leaving him out wide. You're just going to motion him right back in and why off thing. Every, every play with the running back coming back into the back. <laughs> right. All those like reload motions, you know. The things that you do in the NFL because you're searching for a man-to-man matchup that does not pay off the same kind of way in college ball. Um, obviously, the RPO thing, it's a huge difference. You know, Bama was running RPOs on about a quarter of all their snaps offensively. Houston was at like 4% over Bill O'Brien's tenure. Obvi- that will have to change. You know, they found – Alabama's found their recipe. I don't think that they're going backwards with their RPO usage. Same with play action. Alabama was at like 46% play action. Houston at like 21% while Bill O'Brien was there. Again, that's you're not Alabama's not going backwards with that. That is their offense. They're not changing. You know, things like screen game instead of quick game, pro style quick game. It's one thing to do that with Deshaun Watson, who's a near MVP level quarterback. It's another thing to ask a college level quarterback to do that. So we'll, de- we'll probably be seeing more screens. Really, like, at the end of the day, they're just going to run what Sark ran. That's what's going to happen day one. Uh, Nick Saban's going to walk into his office, hand him the call sheet that Sark went off of, and said, this is what you've got to do. Because things like Bill O'Brien doesn't run counter. That's a money play for Alabama. You know, Bill O'Brien likes to run power. You know, Bama runs counter instead. So all of these types of things, I would expect to see something a lot closer to what Sark and, you know, Loxley and Gaddis and those guys have done than anything like what, you know, Bill O'Brien typically did at Houston. Yeah, I don't think there's – I one of the things I did like, um, and I've always liked, uh, especially since he, he's gotten Deshaun – since he got Deshaun Watson uh, in Houston, was I thought their zone read game was pretty interesting. I thought mm-hmm. they did a lot of different stuff off of the zone read, whether it's, you know, split, you know, splitting the tight end – arcing the tight end, yep. uh, you know, bluff, slide, slice, whatever words you want to use to describe what the tight end is. Right. Doing. 
I thought those it was cool little like RPOs where it looks like zone read and he's yeah. out into the flat like a slide route where you get that kind of triple option type of thing. Like he does have some interesting stuff off of that. And so I think, you know, that I think you'll see some of that stuff. They have a really nice one. I just hit me. One of my favorite concepts that I've seen the past few years, because it feels like every time I see it run, it goes for a touchdown. They, they like it in the high red zone. Sometimes low red zone, actually. I've seen the Cowboys run this too with Prescott where it's that same zone read. So now the tight end is coming from the front side of the play all the way to the back side to where the quarterback is reading the defensive end. Mm-hmm. And he's bypassing the defensive end. And usually, so what are the two things that are going to happen when you bypass the defensive end? You're either going to go run, keep running to the flat and you're a pass option off of it, or you turn and you arc up the field and you block the linebacker. So if the quarterback keeps it, now he, right. he's got a lead blocker. So what they do is they crack... It's that same idea, but they crack the receiver on the linebacker. And now instead of that tight end coming across and turning upfield for the linebacker, he keeps coming across and and goes and blocks the cornerback who was left alone by the receiver who's going to crack the linebacker. So they kind of just switch it. It, It's a little simple adjustment. It's not a big deal. Um, But it's something that I noticed that it always goes for a touchdown. I swear. Deshaun Watson has scored like 10 touchdowns on that. Dak has scored like 10 touchdowns on that. Just like it's simple installation. So just I think there's stuff that he does in a zone read game that's interesting. But then again, it's like it's like what you said. Well, how are we going to run all this zone read stuff if the running back is not next to me? Right. Like That's a different story. Alabama, Stark wanted to be in a pistol. Right. So that's probably what they're going to keep doing. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, if my buddy uh, Nate Tice listens to this, I know he's going to roll his eyes. But the play you just described, it's really, it's almost like running a toss concept out of like the old West Coast offense stuff where they do the pin and pull. It's just adding that zone read element. But like you said, I mean, from what I've seen of Bryce Young between high school and some of the kind of cleanup snaps that he got at Alabama, he is much more of a pocket presence, you know, wants to be a precise quarterback. Not that he's not an athlete. You would use that if you had DJ. You're probably not yeah. using that if you have Bryce Young. So, again, it's going to be Sark's offense. The tweaks you might see will probably be in the run game. Maybe they run a little bit more stretch than they usually would under Sark. Um, but the power counter stuff, split zone, and we're RPO and everything out of 12 personnel, and that's not leading. But I, the, one of the things I do wonder is, like, as a play caller, so he's going to bring in some of his past concepts. Because he's going to go to Nick Saban and say, Nick, I got to have stick in here, right? Right. And Nick's going to be like, yeah, it's stick. Like, no problem. And it, But it's like, okay, but you can't call that shit like 20 times a game. Like, let's we got to – and I think that would make me nervous if all of a sudden, you know, Bryce Young, five-star recruit, but he's only a sophomore. So, like, just being like – so, if, if all of a sudden Bill O'Brien starts saying, like, hey, we're, we're in a game here – not that they're going to be in many games, but, you know, we're in a game here. All of a sudden, I, I, he reverts because it's on a play sheet. Stick is on a play sheet. Right. All of a sudden, quick game. Quick game here. Quick game there. And now now he's going empty. Now he's running the Patriots follow. I was going to say, follow. empty quick game. It's all <laughs> now, he's going, now he's game, going so. running the Patriots follow concept. Now he's running yeah. Hoss Wide Juke. And Hoss Wide Juke. Like, <laughs> whoa, 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 buddy. So that I think, like, the, the give and take, that I, I find it so interesting because, like you said, they are going to try to run Sark's offense. Yes. And now you could, like, he's a smart man. Like, Bill O'Brien, I mean, we, we laughed at him um, uh, in terms of uh, 
everything that happened at the end of the the Houston tenure of him being a GM, trading DeAndre Hopkins, all that stuff. Um, but like conceptually, like the play, the play designs, they they're they're perfect. There's no problem with the play designs. I think the issue is, like you said, it's and and again, it's in stark contrast with what Alabama has done: motion, right. play action, uh, back in the pistol, running outside zone and counter, like you said, like so, just completely different. You can do it. He's he knows what outside zone is. He knows what how to how to how to dial up a shot play out of off a of play action. He knows. Right. But it's like, how often are you calling it? Sark, Sark was so good at being like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna call it three times a quarter. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That play action shot concept. Whereas Bill O'Brien, even with you know a really good receiving core over his years there. A with DeAndre Hopkins who elevates any receiving core. But then even, you know, even even like dude, Will Fuller, Will and Fuller, Brandon yeah. Cooks, like how how you didn't run act play action like the whole time. Not not even to boot out of it. Play action like um like Alabama did a lot this year. And our, our friend Clark um Clark Brooks from SCSAC had called it clogs because they're like not quite a boot. Um, to set up in the pocket and throw these crop, these deep overs, like, dude, for you not to run that with two speedsters like Fuller and Cooks all the time, uh, or as much as, as as much as you want them to, I think is crazy. So yeah, yeah the, I'm, th- this thing is fascinating to me it, I, for, from game one, and we're gonna see the little tweaks that he puts in. And you you gotta hope that if you're an Alabama fan. Unless Bryce Young is this absolute magician, like like unbelievable player who can handle a lot of that stuff, like you better hope that he dumbs it down and and then keeps a lot of the same stuff that um, that Sark did. Yeah, well, like the last thing I'll say on it is if you see if you see Alabama in empty often, I can guarantee that Bill O'Brien will not be the offensive coordinator there for long. I will put it that way. Okay, Nick Saban will get in front of the cameras and start talking about how Bill O'Brien is the greatest coach of all time to get him a new job, so that way he can get him out of there. But yeah, I I think if you're Saban, you're probably thinking the stuff that Bill O'Brien does best, which is like the quick game, the empty stuff, those kind of man answers. You're thinking, okay, maybe that's the one thing that he gets to add to the offense. But mm. again, all the stuff that Loxley, yeah. you know, Kiffin and Sark have all started there. Like I, I mean, you you don't go backwards with that type of stuff with how explosive they've been. I, I found when I was watching the offense again uh, recently, the, the Texans offense from this season, Man, it's just hard on. It's a lot on the quarterback shoulders. It's, yeah. it's just a lot on the quarterback shoulders. So if you have a guy like Deshaun Watson, okay, that's no problem. He's like we're talking about one of the top five quarterbacks, top ten quarterbacks in the NFL. Right, point zero one percent type of guy. <laughs> yeah, like and so like he's dropping back. Um, not a great offensive line there. He's making plays out of the pocket. He's he's he, like with, without it. Not not because he he doesn't he like necessarily wants to make plays outside of the pocket. Um, because I thought this year, I mean, we're getting off on a tangent here on, on Watson, but I thought this year his timing was excellent. He wanted to throw at the end of his drop. He wanted to throw at the end of his drop plus one hitch. Um, he only moved out of the pocket because his guard was getting beat clean by like Chris right. Jones and shit. You know what I mean? Like, right. So, yeah, I think it was such a difficult offense for a quarterback. And all right, another tangent we're getting off on. These damn Patriots guys. 
who leave and think that they could just run whatever Tom Brady did. I, that's yes. wild to me. It's absolutely wild. You saw it with Dable his first year in uh, in Buffalo, and he's evolved, and he's become a great office coordinator. You've seen it with Bill O'Brien. You see it with, uh, with Josh McDaniels. Like, man, it is hard offense for a quarterback. You better get lucky that Deshaun Watson falls to you at 16 or 13 whenever he was picked because right. uh, it's it's really – it's like, hey, quarterback, go read it out every play. Right. And, you know, and we've talked about this almost every episode I've been on about the best offenses now have quarterback proofed all of their play calls. You can't be wrong because we're not you're not going to get we're not really running five out in the route all the time. And if we're doing that, it's to rub a guy off because we want to get a very easy throw. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, go coast to coast on a read. You're not going four deep on a progression, you know, and that is the type of stuff that you can do when you have the greatest quarterback who has ever lived, you know, and the best, you know, kind of staff structure and organizational structure that we have in pro sports can't do for as great as everything at Alabama is you would be misusing all the pieces they have to say, I'm going to bring in my genius quarterback offense instead of running <laughs> the quarterback proof offense, you know. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free, free PFF Edge annual subscription. So that's a $40 value for just $20. And you'll get that opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy football and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, investments. If you liked the uh, Super Bowl talk uh, on this week's episode of the PFF College Football Podcast, uh, you can go on pff.com. You can sign up. Uh, with promo code Super Bowl 25. So one word, Super Bowl 25, and you get 25% off any subscription uh, that we have on the website. And it also comes with the 2021 NFL Draft Guide. Now, you guys know, I just wanted to put this out there. You guys know uh, Mike Renner and Austin Gale for their draft coverage. It's great. And and you guys know them because they put their names on the 2021 uh, or all the NFL Draft Guides. Let me tell you, just from working here for the little bit I've worked here, there are so many guys behind the scenes who work on that stuff and they make it as beautiful as it is. So, you know, you remember the college football guide that we put out this year and all the other NFL draft guides, such really good people working on that stuff that is, it makes it fire. Um, 
so uh you know go on go super bowl 25 get your 25 percent off discount on all pff related goods um so from now until uh the monday after the super bowl so i think that's february 7th so go on super bowl 25 get 25 percent off all right um we stay in the sec west uh to talk about auburn and their hire of brian harson if we haven't talked about this yet so I went back to watch. I don't honestly. I don't know much about his offenses at Boise or his defenses for that matter. Um, I went and now he he did bring in two coordinators who have a ton of experience each. So Derek Mason's coming in as a defensive side, and Mike Bobo is coming in the offensive side. So, anyways, I, let's go back to it. I went and I started watching just quickly uh, some of the Boise State games when Hank Bachmeyer was playing quarterback because I figured you know second year. You know, they had some other guys play snaps this year, but I figured the guys who the guy who was in his second year in the system under I forgot the offensive coordinator's name. It's not I don't think Brian Harson was calling the plays. Could be wrong. So I just went back and watched the, those games, dude. It is a lot. They're doing a lot. There's there's all like first first I watched uh, the conference championship game against San Jose State, and dude, they're running LSU's offense. Like, oh, it's smash drive, it's three verts, you know, middle read, whatever you want to call it, doubles, uh, all that stuff. And then then you're watching other games and they're going under center and doing all that stuff. Then you're watching this game where they're doing this, um, you know, a double smash and stuff. Like, I was shocking how much stuff they do. So I don't know how much that is going to come into the Auburn offense. Uh, I do know that Mike Bobo is, honestly, it's an uninspired hire there. That's... They were at, you know, I looked it up. South Carolina was mid-table in terms of in the SEC. And honestly, in terms of the country at large, in terms of their EPA per play on offense last year, that's where Mike Bobo was, you know, coaching under uh, Will Muschamp last year. It is kind of a a, a not very modern offense. Uh, pretty much dead last in RPOs in the SEC. Um, you know, second to last, only two. Mississippi State, which means they're last because we know the Mississippi State's not running any RPOs anytime soon. Uh, so they're not doing that. They're going under center, running a lot of duo. They're running a lot of oh, one of the things. I don't know if you if you watched any, you saw any of this from South Carolina last year. So they run like um, power read. So that's the play that um, that made Cam Newton famous, right? For the listeners, like, so look at, you know, his big run against LSU in 2010. That's power read. So they run it a couple of different ways. They run it like Auburn used to do it with like, you know, we'd call like inverted read with the running back coming across. And then they're running it like like a toss power read. So the running back will kind of swing out like he's going to receive a pitch play or a toss. And if the defensive end stays with, the running back as he moves outside and the quarterback just keeps it himself and goes inside. So Clemson runs that a lot, right? Yes. That's a, that's a, that was a Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence special. All right. Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence look good running it. This is like a coolness <laughs> to them. The way they fake it, you know, the yep. toss. Dude, look, I'm not trying to make fun of this kid. I don't, so like, and honestly, they played with a few different quarterbacks. So I'm not sure which quarterback it was. He just didn't look that cool. He was trying to do like the 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 two the, like the, um, the 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 basketball bounce pass, like skip pass, whatever it's called, like from his chest uh, yeah. on it, uh-huh. and it didn't look cool. 
And I was like, yo, you can't, like, Mike Bubble, you ruined, <laughs> you ruined a <laughs> cool-looking play here. Because, you know, there's so much nice play actions out of it. T- Clemson's run that play action where they hit the tight end over the middle. Uh, mm-hmm. I see Tua run that, or it might have been Jalen Hurts. It was like 2018. So, uh, or, so run that where they fake it and they hit the tight end over the middle. Like, it's I mean, such a that cool was a play. Gus Malzahn, that's a Gus Malzahn play action special is power read to take that, you know, that middle seam route. Yep. And anyways, the point is that it didn't look cool when South Carolina was running it last year, and that's right. the only point. But but I think the thing with with um, Mike Bobo is like at a macro level, the offenses have not looked good. And so he took over from Jim McElwain at at Colorado State, and McElwain, if I'm not mistaken, I looked this up, it was 18 and eight. Like so, that's what two years, three years at at um, at Colorado State. Bobo comes in and it just craters. They're awful yeah. on offense. He comes to South Carolina. He can't figure it out. Obviously, the team isn't great at South Carolina compared to the relative to the SEC. We can't figure it out. So now him just kind of moving on upwards back into uh, a re- pretty high-profile OC job in the SEC is kind of wild to me because he has, they haven't really been good on offense wherever he's been. Right. And, you know... So Bobo, so to, to answer your point about Bobo, yes, it's it is a very uninspired hire. If you look at the offenses that he's had at all of his all of his gigs in the SEC, none of them have been explosive. You know, all of his good ones, if you look, they're always accompanied by an NFL level running back and multiple <laughs> NFL level offensive linemen. You know, which you which you will get some access to in the SEC, but the truth of the matter is like. Everywhere he goes, if you look at the passing offense, he's the common denominator with why it's the problem. I, 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 I want to cut it a different way, but I just can't. It, it's the truth of the matter. So I've all, I was really confused when I saw that he was hired. My assumption is just that, hey, get an SEC guy since it's my first SEC gig type of thing, <laughs> you know. And that's kind of what I'm hoping. And that that was kind of the way I thought about the Derek Mason hire, even though he is obviously a much more talented and uh, skilled and, you know, a much better resume as a coach and a coordinator than Bobo is. But if I had to guess based on what I think they're going to be offensively at Auburn, it will probably be closer to Boise State. And the one thing that Bobo does know is like the 12 personnel, single back zone stuff. Like, and that is a big part of that Harson offense is, you know, the formational diversity out of the same personnel group. So they're, you know, about 34% 12 personnel. And with that, you know, they're 20% 20 in two back formations. So that means that they're taking that second tight end and using him as like a true move guy. Maybe he's in the slot. Maybe he's a lead blocker. Maybe they're going, you know, tight end wing, that type of stuff. So that's going to be kind of the hallmark of that. They do run RPOs. You will get your power, your inside zone. You will get the shifts and motions that we know Boise that we've known Boise State for for over a decade now. Um, you're going to get the unbalanced line stuff, and I mean that's going to be what the offense is. So I am interested to see how much of an imprint Bobo gets to have because everything I've seen from Harrison offensively, even dating back to when he was an OC at Texas, is he knows what he's doing as far as you know multiplicity being versatile out of the same personnel packages. And we're going to run a little bit of everything. We've got quick game. We've got downfield shots, play action. We'll run inside and outside zone, power, all of that stuff. So I think that we'll see more of that than we will of, you know, the South Carolina, Georgia, you know, Colorado State, Mike Bobo offense. 
But the question is though, like, is this gonna work for Bo Nix? Because if if it, if the, if it doesn't work for Bo Nix, there's no point, right? Like, y- this thing has to be fit for your quarterback who's now going to his third year, who has been inconsistent to say the the best uh, about him. Um, I don't know if that stuff works for him. I think you. Like not, I don't know how much stuff does work for him because he just hasn't proved it on the field that he can that he can play a quarterback at the SEC level. Um, so I wonder, I you know, let's get into RPOs like a ton of RPOs. Let's get into some zone read stuff. Let's get into some Q powers. You know, let's get into some stuff that where we don't have to just do a lot. I think what 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 I said and then. What you elaborated on of them just being a lot of things. Now, it could it could on one hand mask a bad quarterback play because you get the defense not knowing anything, um, having to guess a lot of times, and maybe get, people get open that way. But on the other hand, the way I see it, at least, is I don't know if it helps the quarterback because you got to learn a lot of stuff now. Like you can't now. How fast are you going to be playing as a quarterback when you're in a ton of different formations? When guys maybe they're running the same concepts, and but even that, I saw a lot of different concepts in the, in the, in the passing game uh, when I watched Boise State this year. So I, I just don't know how much it works for Bo Nix. Again, is it does does much work for Bo Nix? That I don't know. Where I think I I think there's a good case to be made that he will progress. I guess he did get a little bit better last season that he will progress again. Third year as a starting quarterback in the SEC, you have to get better at some point. Um, and maybe maybe Brian Harson is just a really good quarterback coach too. That could right. be the thing too. Maybe Mike Bubble is a good that we kind of know probably isn't true, but maybe he <laughs> maybe 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 he's he, he's been waiting for his Bo Nix his whole life. So that 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 would be my like my concern is like you know we want to do all that stuff, but I don't know. if can the quarterback handle everything that we're talking about now? Right. And I think the optimist point of view is what you touched on. They do so much offensively that, hey, maybe we find like we can do all these different boutique things and the defense is going to be so vanilla to avoid confusion that we make it, you know, dummy proof again, you know, for as an offense. But then the other side of me thinks about, okay, so when Boise State was at its best offensively, they have Brett Repian and Kellen Moore. And these are two guys that, by all accounts, are like some of the smartest college yeah. quarterbacks we'd ever seen. You know, obviously not the most talented arm-wise, but mentally they knew everything. They were always precise, never turned the ball over, you know. And that's something that we can't say about Bo Nix. <laughs> if there is an issue with Bo Nix, it's that he takes bad sacks, and he turns the ball over more than he should. Okay. So I'm interested to see, you know, this will be a test for Harson. Can you step in with a guy that has a little bit of talent but has a lot of issues? And can you clean that stuff up? If they can, the offense, the offense has worked. We know that it works, you know, at the G5 and Power 5 level. So the structure won't be the issue. It is going to be on Bo Nix in year three now. You know, the same way we've talked about Brock Purdy. Can you take that next step? You've seen flashes, but you've probably been a little bit more bad than good. You know, can you iron that stuff out? Okay, uh, we're off of college football. Let's go to the NFL where we had the two conference championship games uh, on Sunday. 
Uh, Super Bowl is now set. Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. Uh, let's start with the Kansas City kind of beatdown of the Buffalo Bills. The end of a very magical season in Buffalo and the end of uh, specifically a magical season for Josh Allen. Yeah. I, so I'll, I'll posit this question to you. Something that I wasn't expecting after watching the tape of that game again. They go, look at the three playoff games now that Buffalo's played. Colts and Josh Allen shreds them. Zone defense. You said a bad word in the chat earlier about that defense. I won't say it out loud, but a, bad, a, a, a soft defense. Yes, put it that way. A soft defense. So, like, um, okay, he's able to figure it out. They couldn't stick to routes. You know what I mean? Like, they, you know, holes in the zone in everywhere. Now you're going against. Baltimore, we know Baltimore is a mad coverage, going to stick to you, route, going to pressure you, could do anything. Now, one of the things that I was found interesting was, and we talked about this on Sunday during the game, because they were running their, the, the Chiefs had this real interesting kind of cover two rotation where um, Tyron Matthew ends up playing Mike Linebacker, basically. Right. Um, so I thought, okay, well, this is interesting. Now he's being it. Now he's he's losing. You know, they're not playing well against all his zone stuff. But actually, the Chiefs played a ton of man coverage, and you know, Spags has some interesting stuff that he does within that context. But it was still a ton of man, and he couldn't beat that man. Um, so now it's two games in a row that Allen had trouble with with man coverage. So I was curious what your thoughts were. Just. On that, and then Josh Allen as a whole, as the season uh, has come to an end now in the, in the conference championship game. So, to me, what you touched on, that's the last step for Josh to yep. figure out. I think that this year what we saw is when teams do play soft, when they're playing a little bit more vanilla defense, he's an excellent extender of plays now in a way that he was not to start his career. So now he can work the pocket. He can get outside the pocket and find guys in holes, you know. So that that has been, you know, what has kind of elevated him up to this point. But now the man coverage and can you deal with pressure when guys are tight to routes? That's what killed him against Baltimore, you know, and you think about those long sacks, even a long sack against uh, Indy against Indy when they started playing tighter man when they needed to get off the field and he fumbles the ball, you know, and they, they almost blow that game on the offensive end. Those kinds of things are sticking out to me now is like, OK, you've touched you've reached one plateau. You know, this is the next one that, you know, separates the top of the league in terms of quarterback play versus a you can get to the playoffs with this guy um you know that that's really what's left for him he's got to be able to deal with pressure and man coverage a little bit better than what we saw the last two weeks well okay so let's project forward like do we see this as a one-year thing for josh allen or do we see this as this is like this is like a solid improvement foundationally like structurally so that he's never going to regress back to earlier versions of Josh Allen. I don't, I don't, I'm so torn about this question because I, I think that you don't want to just be like, okay, this guy who's had one good season in his whole life and just happened is all of a sudden this amazing quarterback. But then I do look at some structural stuff accuracy wise. And that's for me, that's the main thing. We talked about this last week about how the hips are firing better. He's less, he's more stable in the way than when he throws it. Um, so I think, I think those are structural enough 
that he won't regress back. But the accuracy was not great. This is the one game thing, but the accuracy was really not great um, on more than a few throws against the um, the Chiefs. So yeah, this, that's my question to you. Like, do you think it's it is he's he's improved structurally to the point that regression is less likely, or it's still the same Josh Allen just got a year, you know? Whereas Deshaun Watson loses his best. Um, receiver and you see what happens to the Texans even though Deshaun Watson played uh, pretty great last year mm-hmm. on the other side Josh Allen gains a top receiver and you see them go uh, and and win the division and um, and go to the conference championship game so I want to say they're not going to regress for two reasons number one the way that they were played against Baltimore and Kansas City that's not really sustainable defense either you know, for as much as maybe some of the best of Josh Allen's game was unsustainable, you can't play tight man-to-man coverage against a team all throughout the season and not expect them to have answers. So for that reason, I think that this, like I said, this is probably the new plateau for him. Will be very productive, obviously be very explosive, and now he's much better in the short game, yep. in the intermediate game, and he's better extending plays than he was. So I don't expect it to turn back into – 54% completion rate, 56% completion rate, you know, maybe only throwing 22 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. I, that would be shocking to me, especially since Dayball is staying. You know, you're keeping your OC. You've got your number one receiver now. They do need to figure out this run game thing. Yeah. Um, like, that. that is one thing that can't stand. You know, it, it's just asking too much for Josh with where he's, where he's at right now in his career. He does need a little bit more help in the run game. Um, so I do think that this will be about what we get from him. And then the rest is going to be about building the pieces. Same thing we talked about with Lamar when he got eliminated. He's at, you know, this is what he is as a quarterback now. Now, can you get him to the next level by adding, you know, a little bit more to your toolbox? Okay, let's move on to the uh, NFC Championship game. Before you do, I have one more question for you on that game. Is there has there ever been a better tandem of receivers than Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill? At least, if you needed to win a playoff game, would there be another tandem you'd take? The first thing that popped in my head was Randy Moss, Chris Carter. I think I was they're say, probably that's they're, probably in terms of like the last thirty years. That's probably it. I've got I, I've got three pairs that I think, and okay. I don't really think they're all arguments, but there are three pairs that came to mind. One is what you just mentioned, Chris Carter, Randy Moss. The second is Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, you know, greatest show on turf. And then the last one is uh, Reggie Wayne and wide receiver number 88 for <laughs> for the Colts. Um, yeah. Those are the three, but those are the only ones that I can think of where, like, you can't guard either guy, you know. And when I'm watching, and then I started looking at some of the stats for, like, Tyreek and Travis in these playoff games, it's ridiculous. You're talking seven, eight-plus receptions, over 100 yards for both, multiple touchdown games for both. I don't know how you guard that. Well, I, I think the question that I, that I always think of when it's talking about trying to deal with that Kansas City offense is you, you don't have a choice but to kind of double. You can't just play. Because no, let's not forget that the quarterback's pretty good too. Right. So you can't just play zone. Yeah, well, it's a catch-all for everything because it'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And now you're living in a man world where – 
you know, we talked about it last week where, you know, the first uh, against, man, who the hell did they play last week? I don't even remember. Uh, Anyways, Cleveland. Cleveland. So the first the first big catch by Tyreek Hill last week, Cleveland, play man-to-man. You play man-to-man in, in, in exactly how the base of man-to-man is taught. You know what I mean? The mic is is, is the rat player, the whole whole player. You have a deep safety. Everyone, uh, you know, the, the, the slots are getting outside leverage by the corners, uh, by the slot corners. It's like it's like that's how you play man to man. And guess what? They kill you. It's over. You're done. You're cooked, right? Because Tyreek Hill runs a crossing round. You can't deal with it. You're, you're done. So then it's like now we have to get into so many different things. Can't play zone because Patrick Mahomes is unbelievable at manipulating zone defenders. Yeah. Uh, with his eyes, with his shoulders, with his feet, and now you have to play man, but you have to who you double. I, for me, you have to double Tyreek. That's what I think. But then you're the, fucked. <laughs> like, then I know. <laughs> what the, the, really, what's, really what makes it impossible is the fact that your best cover guy has to cover Travis Kelsey if you want to eliminate him. It can't be your second best guy. It definitely can't be a safety. And it obviously can't be a linebacker. Your best coverage guy would have to cover the tight end. You know, so maybe you do the Dion thing where you take your yeah. best overall cover guy and put him on Travis, at least when he's split outside. And then you take your second best corner and a safety over the top for Hill. But again, I mean, teams have done this before. That's and, the then, thing. and then you get Mahomes out of the pocket. And now these guys are just, you know, running away from man coverage and there's nobody else there. So I, that's really what's bothering me. Or you get things like, OK, now you're one on one with Sammy Watkins. Good luck. Have a good time with that, you know? When the running backs are healthy, you get a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on a linebacker. Have fun with that. So I don't know what the answer is. Their personnel is so perfectly put together to break a defense. There's just whatever the answer is, we haven't seen it yet. The closest we came was that first half against the Patriots two years ago in the AFC Championship game, and we all saw what happened in the second half. Like, it got shredded, so... You know, everything sounds good, but I don't know what you can put on the whiteboard that actually works on the field because you can't you can't drop eight either because they, they do have the ability to run the ball now. And yeah. Mahomes will extend plays until a guy finds a hole. I, and I think, yeah, I think Andy has – there's some games where he's been really disciplined about running the football, um, and it's worked out for them. You know, the first Buffalo game is a good example of that. They just said, screw it. Like, you want to play too high and stuff like that? Try and take everything away. Uh, we don't have a problem with that. We'll just run the football. Uh, right. And, you know, if you do play that zone, like you said, it's just like Mahomes is, like I said, unbelievable manipulating zone defenders. And like you said, now you, even if you can cover for a few seconds, he's so good outside the pocket. And him and Kelsey's, like, um, it's telekinetic. Dude. Telekinetic uh, <laughs> communication with each other is absolutely the, some of the best I've ever seen. We're seeing him. You know, it's one thing to to have a receiver, you know, kind of adjust his route. Part of the structure of the play, if that makes sense. So, like, if he's running like a deep out, maybe he settles it. And he does it early enough, and 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 the quarterback sees it, and they're on the same page. I think that's one thing because that's something that can be repped a lot. Uh, for me, and well, okay, it's it's one thing. It's a great thing that that Kelsey and Mahomes do. They do it at the level that I've never seen before. But that's um, what I'm talking about. Still, is in 
the structure of the play. But for me, the crazy thing is even crazier than that is, like you said, outside, not just Kelsey, but all these receivers. I've taught scramble drill to receivers all, for many years. Yeah. They don't do that, man. They do whatever. Right. They do stuff stuff that you would never teach. They're going this way. They're going that way. They're going against guys the going brain. opposite the quarterback. <laughs> It's, it's I've crazy. never seen this before in my life. Like, this is wild. And then, you know, Mahomes can see that and he can make a throw out of anything. I, I think that's, uh, yeah, like I, we're on the same page here. This is an offense that is that is in, incredible, really. And so they're playing against the Bucks in the Super Bowl now. Bucks take out uh, Green Bay in Green Bay. They didn't, they had some trouble with him, with Tyreek Hill last time, man. I'm gonna have to go back. We'll we'll talk about this a lot more, you know, next week after we both, uh, you know, get our ducks in a row on on, the, on those two teams. But like, that's a tough matchup, man. That's a tough matchup, especially with what Bowles wants to do. That's really the issue. Is I'm thinking like, I don't know if there's enough pressure you can generate while also covering these guys. Like, it's a good, it's a sound idea to me. Because I don't think that you can just sit back and play base defense. Like, if, if I were a coach and I had to make a decision on it, if I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose a pressure against an offense like this. We'll just both play the the variance game. You yeah. either, you know, throw one over my head for 60 yards or I get a sack strip, you know, and get a negative play that ends your drive. Um, so I like, the, I like the theory of it. But, again, I mean, it, it's one thing – covering you know Valdez Scantling and it's another thing covering Tyreek Hill you know I we were we were all joking when we were talking to each other about the uh the issues that Miko Hardman has had you know in his pro career but the truth you can't leave the guy alone it's still a 4-3 out there that's still a 4-3 guy out there you know it only takes one or two plays to to end to end a Super Bowl you know so I don't know. I, I don't know what the idea, what what the plan is going to be. They've got as close to what you would want to defend a team like this because they play high variance ball just the same way that the Chiefs do. Maybe you just try to take the. Maybe you start early with the 49ers approach of we'll rush four because we do have a good front four in terms of a pass rush and at least just see how well we can hold up. And in the second that they start breaking us down, then we just turn up the pressure and live with that. You know, that was actually, as an LSU fan, that's something you're familiar with because that's what Venables did against uh, against Joe Burrow in 2019. You play base coverage for as long as you can, and as soon as you start losing, then you just turn up the pressure and, hey, whatever happens from here happens. Yeah, and LSU still scored. Exactly. So, <laughs> but that, you know, per, you know, kind of perfect situation, I would expect something similar to that, right? You try to play deep base defense as long as you can, then you just go out with what you know best and what Bowles knows best is sending as much pressure as he can. I, I wonder. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that the 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 early season game between these two because I do wonder. You know, Bulls is a, is a is a three four bare front type of guy. I wonder if he. I don't even. I don't know if he how he played them, and I'm curious to see how he played the front in uh, in that first game because that's not. You know, like I don't. I see him as a bear guy. You can't run that against. You're not right. You can't do the five. You can't do the five one, five two. Yeah, that's not going to work. So I, I, I'm curious to see how he played them week the week whatever it was, and then how he, um, and 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 see how he might adjust to it. Because I agree, like he's going to end up pressuring the fuck out of them. Yeah. 
Like it's going to happen. And it's not going to be like, because it's, it's funny, you mentioned the Niners last year. They really tried not to pressure as much as they could and play as much coverage as they could. Um, from what I recall, every third down was the same. Hey, we're going to play, yep. po- we're going to play too high, too high. Poach, we're going to yep. poach them with the backside safety. And we're going to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and the one time they didn't, they lost the football game. That's again, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, last topic. Uh, we're gonna go. This is be, we're gonna become the uh, PFF high school uh, football podcast for for two minutes here, because there was some. So th- I, this is so close to to your heart, and that's why I, I, I needed to get your thoughts on it, um, and and to my heart too, as as a former. Uh, high school football coach, but there was an article that came out uh, or uh, talking about, it's from footballscoop.com talking about the issues with California, specifically California, though I know Michigan is involved in this uh, in one way or another. Um, The issues in California uh, postponing or canceling high school football in the fall. And there was an article cited, uh, sorry, not an article cited, but <laughs> basically a tweet cited um, of, uh, so the tweet says, Sarah, high school head coach, uh, Patrick Wallace, shares some alarming data collected by the Golden State Coaches Community based on 105 football programs. So 1,087 players have been ruled ineligible there have been 253 dropouts, 64 student sorry, 64 student athletes have been incarcerated, 85 joint gangs, and there's 38 new fathers. Can you? So my question to you is is very simple. Would you be in a gang if it wasn't for football? Like so, because the the, the studies that I just the very real study that I just. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I need to mute so I can get these laughs out. You go ahead. The the study that I just mentioned to you noted that there were uh, 85 people, 85 football players, I guess, who became uh, part of a gang because there was no football in the state of California. And that makes me sad because gangs are bad. Okay. And uh, we don't want to see our kids in gangs. So, again, the question to you is. Uh, if it wasn't for you uh, playing, you know, edge rusher, will linebacker, whatever you did, would you be uh, a crip or a blood? Um, I mean, that was my seasonal occupation in between the off season <laughs> and the football season. No, but I mean, to be to be serious for a half second, because I don't, I really don't want to give this light as a serious thing, because the fact that people would try to carry this as though it's serious is so offensive to me. Yeah. That I don't really want to give this light. I've kind of said what I wanted to say. Um, the most disappointing thing is the fact that a site like Football Scoop, which has a huge audience, you know, in the football community from youth all the way up to the NFL, would post that as though it were newsworthy is really what's bothering me the most. Um, Alex Kirshner, who works at uh, who used to work at Banner Society. Uh, was a guy who really kind of set off the conversation today about it. But, you know, what he was saying was true, you know, regardless of how anybody feels about it. A, 
we need to stop calling things data that are not data. There's a difference <laughs> between numbers that you just put together and data, you know, like it does not pass the it's smell test. It's the difference test between my articles on PFF and Eric Eager's articles on PFF. <laughs> like it, people just need to be very careful with how they frame this. And as a coach, I want to make sure that I have clarity, obviously, because I have a responsibility to the, cl- the school that I work at, um, the school that I coach at and the kids that I interact with. I don't want to come across like, I'm being flippant about their season because I'm not. I want them to play football. We are not getting any closer to it with this. Like it's horseshit data. And coaches, you know, coaches have been kind of messaging me on the side, trying to kind of advocate for it. But I think everybody has an understanding that this is horseshit data that people are trying to stand behind on the hopes that it gives them a little bit of political power. Um, So it's been disappointing to me to see this thing gain the kind of traction that it has. There is no data on kids joining gangs that they can collect. It does not exist, guys. If you if, if there are people who actually have an interest in this and would like to know, please feel free to contact your district and they'll get you in touch with counselors that work at your kid's school and they can give you the kind of information you need about at-risk youth. Um, you know, leaving beside, because I don't want to take all our time on this, leaving beside how you know, implicitly racist it is to focus <laughs> on things like jail, gangs, and becoming a fa- becoming a teen parent. You know, I don't know how that sounds to you guys. I know how it sounds to me, and I'll leave it at that. Um, it's extremely disappointing to see all of these head coaches and people who we do entrust our youth to think that the numbers that they put together in this little app or group chat that they have somehow supersedes the fact that thousands, and I want to say this again so people hear me, thousands upon thousands of people are getting sick and passing away or being hospitalized, being left with lifelong side effects on the behalf, on the behalf of this disease. And we are talking about football as though we deserve special treatment. I love this sport. I want these kids to play and I'm doing everything I can to make sure it happens. We are not going to get any closer to it by following this horseshit data. So please, everybody, leave this alone. We'll find another way. Well said. All right. That was the uh, PFF High School uh, Football Podcast. <laughs> and we will, uh, me and Deontay, will see you next week. Bye.